Welcome to Ed Ideas, relevant conversations for Christian education. As image bearers of God, we have been created to actually carry out this work of cultivation, unpacking, unfurling, so that making is how we be human. Anytime culture is going through transition and there's significant change, you can either look at it as, hey, this is the worst thing ever, or what an opportunity. We know that all adolescents are asking some really direction-setting questions in their life. The very first thing said about us in the Hebrew Scriptures is not that we are bad, that we are dirty, that we are sinful, that we are shameful, that we are anything. The very first thing said about us is we bear the image of God. Welcome to Ed Ideas. This is Brandon Tatum, and today we get to listen to a conversation that I got to have with Gabe Lyons after he presented at the Museum of the Bible. Hope you enjoy. I want to go to the truth thing for a second, because I think the truth thing is a big issue for Generation Z, and one that I have been struggling with uh, when it comes to uh, the truth of Scripture. Uh, I, I think of a story of a young lady uh, goes to a Christian school, goes to church. When the doors are open, teacher starts talking about Jesus feeding the 5,000. And she stops the teacher and says, let's not talk about this. I can't believe that actually happened. How did the, the fish just appear? The baskets just poof happened. All these people are there. He doesn't have a microphone. How do they hear him? She, like, she starts asking like very logical questions on the miracle stories. And when we think of Generation Z, and I haven't teased this out a lot, so I'm pitching this for you. Uh, many researchers would say Generation Z was born in 1995. And 1995 is also the same year the first Pixar movie hit the scene, in Toy Story. And the difference between Toy Story or Pixar and Disney is that Pixar has created logic and rules in their movies. So uh, Mary Poppins flies with an umbrella, no logic. And Up, he flies, but he uses helium balloons. And so yes, it's still kind of ridiculous, but there's a little bit of logic built into right. that. So what I'm afraid is, you know, we have unintentionally talking about Jamie and the formation, we don't realize it's happening, but we have formed almost in our children's minds rules and logics to their imaginations. Yeah. And they come to a text that is, seems to be somewhat illogical and defying of rules. Mm -hmm. So how do we help kids come to scripture and see the truth? Yeah, great question and great illustration because I think I think what you're relaying is there's there's you know, a lot of different worldviews, but even in the one you're describing, the materialism idea, right? That that truth is only known in the things I can see, touch, feel, confirm through science. I mean, that's obviously been a major worldview that's been taught uh, over these last couple of years or couple of decades. You also got uh, rationalism, right? I have to rationalize it in order to better understand what is true. And I think so. So yes, this is a huge challenge. And, and by the way, I'm not I'm not here saying this is going to be easy or the tide will turn quickly. We're, we're literally working up against a tide and a, a wave that's breaking over us that's just huge. It feels tsunami-like. But what I, what I will say is the human soul is longing for what is truly true. And students, many of them know that there's more to life than just what they can see and touch and feel and measure. 
as they're being told that that's all there is to life. I think of um, I think of an illustration of, of a lady that we had uh, at our Q event last year who's 24 years old, um, has dealt with gender dysphoria, for example, in her own life. And so she's a, she's biologically a woman, and she was sharing her story with us, and she said, you know what, I didn't feel like I was a woman, I feel like a man, so I went and talked to a therapist. And the therapist just said to me, look, the first thing you need to do is we need to transition you, and I can get you the prescriptions, the medication, we can immediately start you on these therapies, and by the way, if, if we do this quickly, you'll, you'll catch up with what you're feeling and, and you'll be fine. And what Kat said back to us, she goes, look, I knew she was giving me like the hard facts of like how to do this, but there was something deep in my soul that was like, this isn't, that's not what I want to do. I don't feel loved. I don't feel heard. I don't feel like there's a nurturing care even for me. You're just moving me on like a number. And then she meets a Christian who says to her, look, just come walk on this journey with me. You don't have to, you know, Stay a woman if you don't want, but I just want you to walk on this journey with me. And she enters into a community where she starts to feel love, something that can't be measured, something that we can't, you know, put put on a, on a under a microscope. And she starts to experience and feel that. And she decides over the course of time in that community, like, you know what? It's uncomfortable for me, but God's designed me this way, and I want to live this out. And so I think what the opportunities are are all these intangibles that come that are outside of things that you can measure. Love being one of the chief amongst them. I think hope is one of those things. Um, to go back to just scripture, though, we have to be teaching the grand narrative that obviously is fantastical when you look at scripture. It's about a supernatural world. And, and if we shy away from the miracles, if we shy away from that there really is a real Satan, there really is demons, there really is somebody coming after you and wanting to attack you nonstop, and, and not think of that as just weird, although, sure, some of our kids might go, that's weird, I don't want to talk about it, but they love Harry Potter, right? So, so the reality is you can talk about this mystical world with them, this supernatural world, and the more we establish that, it actually gives much bigger room to talk about things like the miracles and talk about some of these things that are hard to explain or the apocalyptical literature of Revelation because you've set the tone that there's a world that exists outside of what we can each see. Um, and I think intuitively people feel and know that, but they're being taught that that doesn't exist. Yeah, there's a Bible professor actually at Oklahoma Christian University. He says that the, the biggest starting point, or maybe the best starting point with Generation Z is trying to get them to understand there's a world that beyond them. Yeah. There's a world that they don't understand because of that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, we've had research. You should, you know, millennials leaving the church. We've had research. George Barnes done restarted in the 90s and then Christian Smith did in early 2000s. We've had this research saying kids are leaving. Kids are walking away for at least two decades, three decades. Why has not much changed? Yeah. Like, why has Bible classes not changed that much, or, or chapels, or youth groups, and mission trips? Like, why? Why do they kind of look the same as to when you and I were in yeah. those experiences? Well, I think that's been the frustration of people like George and you know, and others. I mean, I grew up, and many people viewed George as cranky and cynical about the church, you look back on the things he would have been saying in the 90s, and, and it's like, well, he was, he was predicting this all along. And I think, I think in some ways, uh, people in that space can get really frustrated that there's not more change. I tend to look at it differently. While I understand it's not changing, because sometimes our metrics are just completely wrong, so the thing we're measuring is, you know, for churches, it's numbers of attendance, it's budgets, it's these basic scoreboard things that really have nothing to do with discipleship and transformation. 
And I think in our schools sometimes that can become the things that we're measuring because it's the things that raise money, it's the ability to convey something that's a little more material that we can measure. Um, and so I don't think it's convenient to measure discipleship because sometimes discipleship doesn't look like up and to the right. It doesn't look like we're growing. It doesn't look like we're producing more graduates. Um, and, and I think because we don't have God's view of that economy as well, we can get a little sad or disappointed that we don't have numbers looking better. I tend to just try to put my faith in that God, you know, it doesn't have to be a hundred people that got discipled, if five people in an environment were discipled that went out and literally God used to change the world, and that's enough in his economy. And so that's not to say we shouldn't change our practices and our structures and our forms. We should. We should orient towards, I think, the things we're hearing already this morning. Um, but I also say, uh, you know, until we're comfortable sort of removing some of the typical metrics of budget, of numbers, of even graduates, uh, in terms of GPA, and some of those things that I realize are just completely basic to having a school, um, but we need to add more in. So it's not that let's remove those, but it's let's add a couple more in that we can measure so that we can better understand transformation. And some of that, you measure years down the road. You measure that when the student's 25, and you look back and go, well, that's what they're doing now, or this is how that worldview stayed with them as they went forward. Um, and, and I think James, Communication about imagination is, is, I couldn't double down on that more. That, that's part of the issue, is we're, we're just churning out students who know how to give the right answers, but forming imagination sometimes isn't gonna happen in the classroom. It's gonna happen in putting in front of them. I mean, think about the chapels that I've been a part of in some of these high schools, and where our, our goal would be to bring in front of them artists and filmmakers and people who are living out these stories that students didn't realize Christians were even doing. And when they start to hear about it, they're like, I mean, even right now, Justin Bieber, I don't know how many people would follow that story. My son's a musician and plays guitar, and so he's kind of followed the Justin Bieber like story for a while. You have an amazing pop artist who's now gone through a deep transformation and is now coming out talking about all the suffering and surrender that he went through. And these students all of a sudden go, oh, wow, a pop star can talk about Jesus? I didn't know Christians did that. You know, or Kanye West to go with another musical example who's just coming out proclaiming Jesus is king, right? This is wild stuff to a teenager who was like, man, Kanye was never that three years ago. Um, and, and, you know, so I think by putting in front of them not just churchy examples of pastors and ministry people or missionaries, but also putting in front of them examples of people working in the tech world, of people creating apps, of people making movies, of entrepreneurs and business leaders creating uh, new services and goods. Those kinds of stories, I think, for a high school student, just fires their imagination and, and adds to what James was talking about. Yeah, and I think you do a good job on your podcast of telling those stories, too, uh, with social entrepreneurs and, and those different stories, I think, is very, very helpful. Uh, what are some things you see uh, schools where your children attend do well to help students be human? Yeah. Well, uh, you know, we, we have the ability, and, and I know some of your schools are in more rural areas, but like my daughter got into chickens because of the 4-H program. So they, they partnered with the local 4-H, and they're out spending some of their day building chicken coops and working with chickens. They're outside. Uh, and again, I'm not holding up our school as the model school, but, but what I've seen is whenever those types of opportunities are created for, for our kids to realize that school can be more than just a classroom setting, uh, their, their imagination starts to fire, and they start to remember who they are. One of the things our school does for our high school every morning is they have 10 minutes they call Selah time, S-E-L-E-H. And every student, uh, it's quiet, 
and they all have journals and a Bible, and they're asked to take 10 minutes at the beginning of their day to read scripture, to journal. Now, I know some of the students just blow it off and try to catch up on homework, and don't treat that time as seriously as the administration would have hoped that that time's being treated, but that's okay. What they've done, to James's point, is they've built in a liturgy of sorts. They've built in time and structure to say, this is important to us, and so we're gonna give our students time Instead of asking them to do all their homework and their parents saying, do your devotions before you get to school and, you know, no kid's able to keep up with all this stuff to just say, hey, in this block of seven hours that you're with us, we're going to give you a little window of time to do that. Let's give him a round of applause. We really appreciate you being here. Thanks for tuning in to this week's podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, please hit subscribe and follow our podcast. It's important that we continue these relevant conversations for Christian education.